La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic Les oiseaux du lac, pic-pac, pic-pic Glou-glou-glou, font tous les dindons Et la jolie cloche, ding-ding-dong Mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum Tout avec lui dit boum Et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille Rugby friends and welcome to a new edition of French Rugby Connection with moi, Véronique Landieu and... And bonjour from Mike Pierce. Hey, very good. We've got lots to cover today. Anyway, just a quick summary of what happened in the top 14 the last weekend. Finally, finally, better late than never, my rugby friends. Stade Français won its first game <laughs> against Castres. Woohoo! <laughs> And Toulouse is still at the top of the top 14. Quelle surprise, not, but let's wait and see. They've got some tough uh, games ahead of them. And uh, La Rochelle smashed Biarritz by, break, by beating them by, do you know how, how many points? I did know. I can't I think it was like 50-something, wasn't it? Not bad, yeah. 59 to 17. In summary, all clubs now have won at least one game. Yes, that's very true. Uh, Stade Francais at the bottom still, the one win out of four. You know, the club was the biggest budget in the top 14 at the bottom of the table. Sort of, there must be a message in there somewhere. Mm, don't know. I think Montpellier, I think they got a hefty, hefty uh, wedge bill as well. But hey, again, I told, you my, I told you last week, my friends, it's only early days. Let's review the situation in week 10. <laughs> Finally, third time lucky. I'm really, really pleased. You know, I managed to get. <laughs> I don't know how to call him. You know, I had uh, my doubt. You know, been, we've been in touch three or four times over this week. Is this this uh, mystery guest that nobody um, knows about? Is yeah, it, is, it, is it Shergar or Lord Lucan or? Well, you know, it's like it's like football equivalent of getting Maradona on. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder. It's a uh, it's, it's a very slippery fish, but certain uh, lucky we managed to speak uh, to, again today. And yeah, I'm sure you will enjoy my my chat with him. What a wonderful, what a wonderful rugby legend. You know, controversial, plenty yeah. of stories, and, and massive game. And you told me you saw him playing against the Barbarian. Can you yes. tell me more about it? I think it was 1984, I think. Or 88, maybe? 88, yeah, you're right. It was 88. It was in Cardiff, in the old Cardiff Arms Park. Correct. And it was, he just was spellbinding. You know, I've never seen a player like it. There were players all over the floor. He was just mesmerizing, you know. They looked hypnotized. They couldn't get near him. It was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen from a player. Absolutely After the game finished, all the Welsh supporters gave him a, st a standing ovation. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, I've never seen press people. They were like little kids, you know, running towards him, um, trying to speak to him. And he was just absolute, absolute wizard. Yes, wizard of, of Australia, yes. <laughs> So, uh, David, really impressed to have you as my rugby guest, rugby star. God, you know, after I had Philippe Sella, I had uh, a few others that have been indicted to the um, World Rugby Hall of Fame. 
I think you were indicted yes. on 2013, yeah. same time as as Philippe Sella. Yeah, I think there was um, something done in 2004, I think that was the another company that did sort of the Hall of Fame. And I think uh, Philip Seller and Jason Leonard and myself, I think it was around there we got inducted. We got something from the British Parliament that made a special jersey for us. So, you know, every, every time something happens, there's a new formula, new people, and they want to have a function. So, yeah, I've been to a few functions. Oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah, over the years. Excellent. And Philippe said I was very, very cheeky, you know. He asked me you know, to ask you, what's your weight these days? My weight these days is, say, it's 89 kilos. That's perfect. Same as before. So you're very fit despite all your busy functions you are going. And in terms of your career, just for our listeners, you know, everybody of my age, you know, knows who Campo, uh, David Compese is. But uh, just yes. a quick recap. So you were born in New South Wales, Australia. You played for Wallabies 101 times. Yes, 101 times, yes. And which other vital statistic can you provide me? Okay, well, I scored 64 tries, went to three Rugby World Cups, won, I think it's two, three Bledisloe Cups. The last time we won at Eden Park was 1986, the Wallabies won at Eden Park and won the Grand Slam in 1984 and went to Hong Kong Sevens for 13 years, went to the Commonwealth Games in 1988 as captain and won a bronze medal and yeah, and now I enjoy coaching around the world. You do indeed. And in terms of rugby right now, what do you think about the way rugby is being played and the lack of space for the attackers? Yeah, look, I think if you've got uh, about 24 hours, I can tell you exactly what I think, but I won't. <laughs> come on, come on. I want some controversy. Uh, well, I think I keep on seeing when you talk about referees, I think. Uh, rugby is about two countries playing and the referee happens to be the man in the middle and makes the decisions. Right. I just find it interesting now you've got the TMO, yes. the linesman on the side are too scared to make a decision. Society in general is too scared to make decisions and now the players are bigger. The coaches, it's all about winning. It's not about entertaining. And, you know, you've got so many different avenues of playing the game of rugby like... I remember playing against the French, you know, the French were flared. They'd run the ball from behind their own try lines. Now, you know, uh, when we went professional, everybody wanted to play like New Zealand, smash it up, you know, big boys. <clears throat> And then we, we were the, the same. I, I, don't I don't know what style of rugby Australia plays. There is no style. We just look like everyone else. And I say to my, my son and friends, at halftime, You could take the jerseys off one team, put it on the other, and you wouldn't know any difference. <clears throat> They're all big. They're all big footballers. And all they want to do is just run into people. Right. So very different from your day playing against uh, Les Bleus with team players such as Lafont. I went to France in 83. Yes, you did. Mm -hmm. And then we came back in, in the 90s and... I think I was playing against Stev, who right. was a, a winger back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. But then in, I think we played against France in Clermont-Ferrand. I think it could have been 89. And we, we played, and I was marking Serge Blanco on the wing. 
Right. Because in those days, the French selection was played with the touring team. It wasn't a provincial team. So one day they'd pick a, a good forward pack. The next game they'd pick a good back line. Right. And by the test match, they knew where your strengths and weaknesses were. So we play this game and there's this young guy at fullback, absolutely unbelievable player. And it was Jean-Baptiste Lafon. We hadn't seen him at all. So what the forwards did, they got together and said, we've got to get rid of this guy. So they got him and threw him in the grace and busted his shoulder, so he was gone. <laughs> that was old day rugby. <laughs> no, but then Serge went to fullback and the rest is history. But Jean-Pierre Reeves, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's the players that, that you, you've, you've created over the years. And it's just sad now that, you know, they, they're starting to come back a bit, but they, they were missing for many, many years in that style. They wanted to be like everyone else instead of keeping the French, the French flair. And I think coming out to Australia this year, they showed, even if it was the second or third team, that they are very, very good if they keep on playing the style of rugby they want to play. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you, were, you, you touched upon, you know, some games that you played in, the, in La Belle France. So is there a specific game that's, that really brings back uh, some really good memories to you? Oh, Strasbourg, I think it was a great memory. It was, a, it was an interesting game. Um, I think it was, it, was 80, it was 83, actually, and we came back and, see, I, I started rugby in 1979. Yes. I was playing fourth grade. I was 17. Then I played three years later on playing for Australia. So in 82, I played for 83 on the France. And in Strasbourg, we're playing. There's a lot of kids, fantastic stadium. There was a line out or a scrum and someone said Brisbane. And to me, I had no idea, but I think in Brisbane a couple of years before that, I think the number nine for France got um, cut open from here to here. Right. And I, in a ruck. So I think it was payback. <laughs> so we had, we had a young guy called Stephen, Steve Tynaman at number eight versus Rodriguez, Mr. Rodriguez, and Eric Schomp. Yes, uh, Eric Schomp. Not very clean players, but they were very good players. And they were in a line out and they went for the ball and there was a massive punch came across. And, and it was, Steve Tynaman was out cold. Then there was a massive fight. So I looked at my winger. We looked at each other and said, we'll just stay out here and watch. There was no involvement. But um, oh, look, you know, I mean, that was rugby back in those days. Now you can't touch anybody. No. You know, they go up the and people throw and push in each hand. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, the game's come a long way. It has, it has. So... The World Cup is going to take place again in France in 2023. Finger crossed that France is going to finally, finally, finally lift that yes. elusive oh, trophy. What, what do you make? What, what do you make of the French team right now? Yeah, look, I think it's going to be interesting. I think if the French can stick to their, their flair, stick to what they're doing, the game needs to entertain people. Mm -hmm. And when France came out here, they scored some great tries, which is a bit of ill-discipline, mm -hmm. you know, which is typical French as well over the years. But I just think that if they can actually play their style of rugby at home, that they want to play, and I think they'll go very, very close. Every team now is starting to rebuild. I remember the last World Cup in 2007, and I was at the opening game. I was doing radio for London, radio channel. Talk sports, and I was on the Oval, and I think France played Argentina, mm -hmm. and all the Argentina players played in France, so they knew all the players. Well, the coach, 
And I think what he did, he kept the players outside Paris. Right. So instead of the players soaking up the atmosphere, they were kept to... So when they turned up, they were just... They couldn't believe what was happening. And all the Argentine players are laughing because they've been right in the centre of all the activities and everything. So maybe that this time they can actually get the players involved with the World Cup instead of trying to isolate them from day one. Yeah, and what, what do you make about the English? In, oh, by the way, one of your former teammates, Michael Einar's son, is part of the 45-man training squad in the England rugby team. Interesting, because his son could either play for Australia or for Italy or for England. But he decided to go for, uh, for England. He's doing really well in, at Queen's work. Any, any thought regarding this? Well, I think he's out in Queensland now. He's come out to Australia uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's out here playing for the Queensland Reds. Actually, um, uh, Michael has got three sons, and I think one is, is playing for England, the other one is in Australia. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I don't know. It's up to them. I mean, that's, that's obviously they're playing. It's up to them what they want to decide. Uh, obviously, they're very good players. So look, you know, rugby is a, a very interesting sport. You can play anywhere in the world. Yes. So I think, you know, if they want to play where they play, you know, you're fortunate that you can live in a different country. But again, you know, as long as they, they've stayed there and they've played all their rugby there, I don't mind. You know, I reckon it's great that you get the opportunity to play somewhere else. Yes. And you played yourself in Italy when you were um, yeah. a professional rugby player. What were the main differences between playing, you know, Italian rugby versus Australian rugby, you know, difference between the northern yeah, and the southern I, hemisphere? I, yeah, back in the day there, it was really about growing Italian rugby. There was only one foreigner per team. Back when I played in 84... There was Nas Boita played for Rovigo. Michael Lina played for Benetton. Yes. John Kerwin played for Benetton. Joel Stransky played for... Did he play? I think it was L'Aquila. Yeah, one of those teams. So there were so many players. And we were really about lifting the, the standard and the levels of Italian rugby, mm-hmm. which was absolutely fantastic. It was a great place to play. And, you know, we... The, the, because Italy also had a, a French ref- coach and they wanted to play French rugby, but they are Italians, not French. <laughs> so they, they, always, they always struggled. But look, it was a great opportunity to meet some fantastic people and I just enjoyed it. It was just uh, a part of my life that I really loved playing and playing in a different country. There's so much history. And uh, yeah, it was just one of those one of those things that I was very fortunate to get an opportunity to play. So why not the UK? Because, you know, Michael Lina went to play for Saracen, uh, Philippe Sella, Brenda Adventer, Pina as well. Have you had some offers? Yep, I, I think it was in 96 when I retired. Mm-hmm. Nigel Ray met me at the airport and he wanted me to play for Saracens. And I thought about it and thought about it. And I said, well, you know, I can't really see myself as a winger in the middle of winter on the rugby field, on the wing, not touching the ball. So oh, said, meow. What, what do you mean by not touching the ball? Well, wingers, wingers in the UK in those days never saw the ball. Oh, really? So I said to Nigel, I think Nigel said I'm probably the only player that's ever said no to him. <laughs> probably, probably, or many others, but he keeps that quiet. Hey, that's a, that's a great story. One thing that my co-host, Mike Pierce, mentioned to me was, he said, please tell him I was there in yep. Cardiff. 
you were phenomenal. What happened? What did you have for breakfast? And you were such a great player that at the end of the game, I think all the Welsh, you know, supporters gave you a, st a stand up. No, yeah, I played mm -hmm. in '88. What happened was I was playing really good rugby. Yes. And the friends, the Welsh love. You know, they had Gerald Davies, JPR Williams, JJ Williams. They had so many great players. Gerald Davies, you know, Jonathan Davies, all Davies. Great players. And mm. I was just playing. It was in the Barbarian game. It was. And I got the ball. Yeah, I got the ball from halfway, sort of swerved on the outside of Gavin Hastings, looked inside, stepped off my right foot, my left foot, and I scored under the post. So it was one of those moments where... I just, you know, I was just playing some really good rugby and I really enjoyed what I was doing. Magical. Um, I wish I would have been there, but uh, I heard uh, uh, my... Just go my... on YouTube. Go on YouTube, it's all there. And, you know, for, yeah, uh, and regarding the, one of your uh, speciality for our younger listeners, you were the one that invented the goose step? The goose step, yeah. It was actually uh, the journalist who named that. So <laughs> I just did it when I was very young. I think I was eight years old, it worked. I said, well, this is pretty good, but never trained, never practiced the training. But what, what it really did to me, for example, if I was playing, say, I always use the example, say, Rory Underwood. Rory Underwood, very quick to come in and out. On the other hand, I could come in and out, I could sidestep, I could swerve, I could do the goose step, I could kick and chip and chase and pass. So I've got one thing to watch him. He's got five things to see what I'm going to do next. So that's the way I wanted to play. I wanted to go out there and play some, some rugby. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But, you know, it's all about enjoyment. Absolutely. It's all about having fun on the pitch, on the pitch and off the pitch. Tell me a few funny stories from your, from your time off the pitch. If you well, can. off the pitch was after that game in 88. Anyway, so there's a famous, a, a good friend of ours who died last year, uh, Greg Rowden, famous mm -hmm. journalist. And on the way back to the hotel, there were so many people, he had to interview me in a telephone box. There were so <laughs> many people around, so he couldn't, actually, couldn't even speak. So there was that, and there was a guy called Ackerman, John Ackerman, John Ackerman, uh, John Ackerman played for Wales back in 1984. Rob Ackerman. It was right. a centre for Wales. And Australia, we beat Wales in the Grand Slam. Anyway, so we, after the dinner, after the game, we went to the hotel and it was Alan Jones, Michael Lyon and myself were standing there and John came up to me and said, uh, I'll make great games today. I didn't think your back line was too good today. And Alan Jones is going, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think your backs are too good. Anyway, so, you know, we just, Michael and I just moved on, you know, there's people. Anyway, so we played the Barbarian game. And there was one part, I get the ball halfway, and I'm zigzagging up the fields. And the guy in front of me is Ackerman. <laughs> so it was like almost like a payback. I said, okay, you said this about us, this is what I'm going to do to you. So, yeah, that was, that was there. But also, in it's not a funny thing, but in 83, we played the Barbarians. I think it was in Toulon or Toulouse, probably Toulon, sorry. And um, Mark Geller and Jean-Pierre Rees were captains. The referee was so bad. Mark Geller grabbed the referee, pulled him over and grabbed Jean-Pierre Reeves and said to John, to John, tell this referee, if he's going to cheat the way he's going, we're walking off the fields. It was so bad. <laughs> really? after, that, after that, it was all fine. It's like, <laughs> these guys would just lose their marbles, but that was happened in the old days. So 
even though it was a barbarian game, it was, yeah, so it was very, very interesting. And you are still really, really busy as well in the rugby field now um, because I saw you, you were commentating at in the stand sport with yes, your old teammate, uh, Tim, oh. Tim Horan. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was very nice to see you and you got another game to commentate yeah, on front think, Saturday. Uh, yeah, I think that might be the last one. I think they're trying. The rugby Australia don't really like me. <laughs> they them, so they, uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens. It's very, very difficult, hey? You, you've got uh, three, week, four weeks of five weeks of the four best teams in the world playing, you know. South Africa played the British Lions, obviously, in South Africa. They were in a bubble, no crowds. They had played against international teams for a year. They've come out here and you've got New Zealand who always play well. You've got Australia, Argentina and South Africa. So, you know, it's very, very... We are very fortunate to have double-head games, two, two, two games on one day the same over. It'll never happen again. So we're very fortunate. And uh, yeah, so the Wallabies have done pretty well. They've won three games. But I think that we're going to, might be in a bit of trouble coming down the track because of, they're starting to bring back all the overseas players and all the local players might not uh, make the grade. So maybe we see a lot more players coming over to France in the future. Yes. The young guys, see, to me, I was very fortunate when I was 19 that 11 Wallabies pulled out of the tour to New Zealand. I was only 19 years old, so we went on tour. We played in New Zealand, 11 games. I played nine. The only way you learn is by going on a rugby tour, you know, and if you don't take them, they're not going to learn. Mm -hmm. So that's why those rugby tours were so good in the day because, and also the world, the country you tour got to see the young guys coming through, you know. So, yeah, so it's, it's going to be a very interesting uh, time in the next couple of years. David, any French player that you that you are admiring right now in the current French squad? Look, there was. I'm just trying to think of the winger uh, a couple of years ago. He was a uh, left footer, great step, black hair. Oh, I don't know what he was. Is he played against Australia? Scored a really good try under Michael Chen a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. I like your number nine, number ten. Yes, you know the. You've got you've got players that we don't really know a lot of about, mm -hmm. you know, because I think a lot of the mainstream players didn't come out on the tour recently. Mm -hmm. So Correct. you know that's going to be very scary for the World Cup if you put your you know all these best all the top players are available and you're all on top form and you can play some good rugby. So we just I just like to see the French play that running rugby. I think they're the best in the world and they demonstrate out here how good they can be. And lots of the sons, you played with a father, like uh, Emil, you played against Emil Tamak, uh, yes, Pino. Yes, Pino, Intermac, yeah. And you've got some really good forwards as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a revolution of rugby. You change, you know, the next generation come around. But I just hope the coaches play a style of rugby that suits France. Yes. You know, we don't want, you know, we, we for some reason, we won two rugby World Cups with Australian coaches. Why do we have to go and get a foreign coach? You know, I don't think France will ever have a Kiwi coach or a Wallaby coach Never. or a South African coach. <laughs> Never. Have a French coach. South Africa will always have a South African. New Zealand always a New Zealand. But we've got to learn that we have got some, you know, we can develop a great style of rugby. And we were the entertainers. You know, we had great skills. So I don't know what's, 
what uh, the future holds for us. You know, we've got to get out there and uh, play a style of rugby that everybody wants to play and people want to watch. Fancy taking the the top job, David? No, they'll never give it to me. <laughs> that would be so much fun. We uh, need people whose personalities like you. Well, we, they, that's the last thing they want. But uh, <laughs> we've got we've got you know, four football codes out here, so it's very very competitive. So unless you entertain, people can always watch something else out here. And talking about entertainment, so uh, Ryan, you told me you, you wrote a book a few years ago, and you got a new book as well, which is uh, which is going to be published on the first of November. Yeah, the uh, this year's thirty years of the Rugby World Cup '91. Oh, November we won. Can't wait. So yeah, this journalist uh, decided to write a book. It's about my playing days. So it finishes when I retired. And it's mainly about, you know, some of the things about the player I was where I kept on dreaming about doing things. And you go into the book, it talks about some of the games, the way I was treated out here by the press. I was always treated better in Europe because they love rugby. But in Australia, for example, Peter Fitzsimons, the journalist, um, when I was about to play my 100th test, you know, he wrote an article said they should not pick me. There's a lot of people, chairman of selectors, Paul McLean, you know, not to pick me. So despiteful that they don't want you to, to play. I was there for 13 years. You know, it's very sad. So all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, look, it's more about the way I played and, you know, the things that I did and I enjoyed and the inspiration we showed at the time, you know, playing, running rugby around the, about the world, how they, they want to play as well. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm really looking forward to reading your books. I'm sure there will be lots of amazing, amazing moments, you know, shared to, to yeah. rugby lovers, some funny stories, a little bit of controversy. But yeah, I think rugby is an area that needs to be questioned at all times to make the, the sport uh, better. And, yeah. uh, and no, I think the other thing, the biggest problem is the laws of the game and the referees. As I said, the referees are not there to, nobody pays for the watch a referee. You know, you come to watch your country play, you know, and some of the games go for a hundred minutes. The, the, the game of rugby is about the enjoyment on the pitch, the, you know, the fun, the, the matemanship. And uh, yeah, it's just sad that sometimes the games get destroyed by the laws of the game. You know, mm -hmm. we've got to look at the laws of the game and try and make them easier so the players can get away and play. And also the TMO doesn't have to come in and make decisions all the time. That's, yeah, new ways. I think that's the impact of technology, which has some good and some bad in some, some aspects, you know, as you know, they are. Well, you know, no one, no, they're not, not everyone's perfect, you know. I mm -hmm. mean, you do make mistakes, but yeah. it's just that in, in the modern game, it's, it's, it's fast, you know. There's some there's people talking about changing 13, 15, 12 players. You watch Sevens now. Sevens was the same. Sevens was about flair, going to Hong Kong, watching Serge Blanco play for France. Philip Seller, you know, you've got Frank Manel, Jean-Baptiste Lafon, you had, you know, Jonathan Davies playing for the Bar Barbarians, you know. That's what, that's what rugby's all about. But even Sevens now is a very physical game. It's not really about the flair, the space, mm. you know, that sort of thing. But that's, I mean, you know, that's why the book's called The Last of the Dream of Weavers because I wanted to, you know, we think about playing as like a fantasy rugby Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, that's that's why it's you know it's that's the way I've always looked at the game, and I still coach that way as well. 
Definitely, definitely. Well, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. I hope to see you somewhere sometime in Europe, you know, uh, on the pitch, off the pitch, you know, and you can tell yeah. me more about uh, your your exploits and your, your memories. And yeah, it's, yeah. Gr it's, it's great to see. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And very, very finally, which uh, which team is going to lift the, the World Cup this year? What are your, your assumptions? Stuff one. Uh, in 2023? Yeah. Uh, I think France have been in four finals, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Third time. Third time rice, mate. Never the ride. Yeah. I think maybe this time they should actually, you know, I mean, there's a lot of teams are starting to rebuild, you know, so I think that it'd be really good for world rugby, mm -hmm. you know, that the French, because, you know, I mean, if you think about the last couple of weeks, we've had South Africa who won three World Cups, New Zealand won three World Cups, Australia won two World Cups, mm -hmm. you know, and you've got England's the other one. So out of seven World Cups, six of them have been down the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. Payback as time. As England, as long as England don't win, I don't really care. <laughs> I knew that. I knew you would have said that. And you knew that they, would have, they wouldn't win the final. Yeah, when Wales lost to South Africa in Tokyo, Eddie Jones was there and I saw him at halftime in the Welsh game. And it wasn't a very good game. And him and John Mitchell came in smiling. And I looked at them and I realized that they've already lost the World Cup. Oh. Because they thought another game is very difficult, eh? And, you know, the thing that I, I found disappointing was that the England players didn't put on their medals after losing. Right. You know, that was very disrespectful for the Japanese because they've, they held a fantastic – they're very respectful people. They had a fantastic rugby World Cup. You know, they held it. It was great. And to, to do that, I thought the – international or the world rugby should have fined England for doing that because it was disrespectful for the game. But you know, we, we don't want that, you know. Lovely to speak with you. I'll let you go Thank back you. Uh, to sleep. I'm actually going over to uh, the UK in this November to watch Australia, Scotland, England and Wales. Brilliant. So hopefully I can meet you. I'm just trying to get across before the flights and all this COVID. And, you know, I've been vaccinated, did the right thing. So yeah. I'm trying to get across to watch some good rugby. Campbell. You. you take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Ciao, ciao, ciao bello. Ciao, ciao. So, what was the highlight for you? Which game did you really, really enjoy watching? And let's well, be quick on it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, Toulouse, Clermont, I thought was a superb game. I mean, Clermont at the, at the start were incredible. Iraqa tried to seven minutes. They were on fire. Lopez calling on all the shots. And Tamak scored a try in the 21st minute. And then O'Connor got one for Claremont. And, you know, Claremont were on fire. But in the second half, their line-out went to pieces. They lost 10 line-outs. And before you know it, Toulouse won 27-15. But I have to say, Claremont were absolutely incredible in that first half. And, so what, uh, ha mm -hmm. what happened in the second half, you think? It was the line-out, really. They basically couldn't get any momentum. They, I'd say they lost 10 of their own line-outs. Well, you can't get any any momentum with that. But, you know, they had a great chance to win that game. But to lose or to lose, you know, they're top of the table for, you know, they're not top of the table by chance. But, you know, Claremont will take a lot of heart from that, I think. And if they can get their set piece sorted out. You know, they're going to be going to be a pretty tough opposition. I got, they moved Penno to centre and he was absolutely superb. And as I say, Cami Lopez rolling back the years and yeah, absolutely incredible. But, you know, win for Toulouse, top of the table, four out of four. 
Yeah, so let me talk about Stade Francais versus Cast. 27 to 10. They got so lucky, Mike. They got <laughs> so, so lucky because after three minutes on the pitch in Stade uh, Bouin, Paul Allo Emile got red carded for dangerous tackle. Okay. So it really, really hurt that. But it gave the Stade Francais, you know, a chance to regroup and to play in a in a simplified and a very cohesive way. And uh, yeah, they, they did it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I watched Racing and Leon, and I have to be perfectly honest, after 15 minutes, Racing has scored three tries. Uh, Fiku scored a try after three minutes. Camille Schatz scored one after 11. And then Diallo scored one after 13. It was 21-0, and I, I switched off. And then apparently <laughs> Leon second half they brought it right back to 21-14 with two tries and two conversions and uh, the final score was 24-20 with 15 minutes to go it was 24-14 to Racing but two penalties from Burdu 64 and 68 minutes made it 24-20 so yeah win that moves Racing up to second in the table up from fifth place but uh, yeah game of two halves in uh, to use an old cliche yeah, so same situation as, as ha- that happened as well for La Rochelle versus Biarritz. Yeah. Uh, uh, La Rochelle really, really, really was, were extremely hungry, you know, for, yeah. for victory. They did really well, you know, bearing in mind, you know, they had lots of debutantes starting in La Rochelle. You had Samuel Lagrange as a hooker, second row Rémi Piquet. And then you had also Paul Boudéon. Erico Bouliri Ruara, apologies for my pronunciation. And I have to say, they, they, they were on fire. Don't know what they had, whether they had some magic potion from, from Asterix. <laughs> no, not from Asterix. Obelix, it's not, I mean, La Britain is not too far away. <laughs> but uh, do you know how many tries La Rochelle scored? <sighs> Seven, was it? Nine. Nine. Wow. So the score was 59 to 17. So Bio or Biarritz, as they are known in, in, in the UK, no, yeah, didn't, uh, was, it wasn't the day. And I also watched Perpignan versus Toulon. Okay, so alarm bell ringing for Toulon. Toulon is not doing too well in away games. Do you know that they haven't won an away game since the 20th of February last year? Wow, that's a good start. Good start. And they got mashed by smash, smashed, smashed. Yeah, both, I think. Yeah, they certainly <laughs> did, didn't they? Wow. By Paul, uh, it was 29 to 33. So next week, guess who they are meeting? They're going to meet Castra. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a, a real a real fight, you know, because last year they got annihilated 46-24 by Castra. But having said that, you know, if you look at the current squad, Mike, you know, they are lacking uh, some of the stars like Colby, Edzebe, and the the infirmary is full yeah. of injured people like Olivon, Serin, yeah. Paris, um, Tolufoa. So really wanted that game, didn't they? I mean, you you can't say they won it through finesse or style. I mean, it was just sheer aggression, wasn't it? And sort of bloody mindedness. They uh, they bullied and yeah. They came out on top. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I'm going to just touch briefly on, on another two games. Uh, Bordeaux, they beat Breve 29-10, a win that moves uh, Bordeaux up from uh, ninth. Three tries for Bordeaux from uh, Frederica Mori. He got one. 
Now, Lamb got two. Jalibert, four penalties and a conversion. And Breve got a try and conversion and a penalty. Breve dropped from third to fifth. Also uh, in the top 14, Poe, 23. Montpellier, 22. Four tries to two for Poe. Delhamel and to Imba. I wish these people would have pronounceable names. Tries for Poe. For Pele, they actually scored one more try. A two for Tallien and one for Vincent. Penalty for Garbisi. So Poe, they move up again. They move up from 11th. Montpellier drop one place to eight. So a close run game there in Poe. Indeed, indeed. Which players impress you the most this weekend? Cami Lopez for me. I thought he was superb, particularly that first half. He really controlled everything. I thought Penno as well. Damien Penno normally plays on the wing for Claremont and for France in the centre. So those two really stood out for me despite being on the losing side. What about you? Ben Lam. Yeah? Ben Lam did really well one to watch. And you know, he's the nephew of, of the coach of Bristol Bears. Pat, Pat Lam. Yeah. Yeah, it is indeed. It was brilliant. And two other players really impressed me a lot in the game. You had the one I mentioned, you know, Stade Rochelet, La Rochelle, Tawera, Ker Barlow was on fire. Yeah, yeah. Really, really magnifique, magnificent. And also uh, Segou Makalou. Segou yeah. Makalou, I think he's turning a new leaf. You know, he played for France. And I think he was dropped by, by Fabien. But I wouldn't be surprised that Fabien Gatier has got his eye on him again. Maybe he wants yeah. to impress. But he can be, I think Segou can be either brilliant or he can be not so good, a bit too laissez-faire and casual. So Yeah, I guess and, it's the consistency they're looking for in him, aren't they? If he can produce that, then. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, okay, so Pro D2, what's happening? The Pro D2, how's my team doing? My Breton team, Van? I know, it's incredible, isn't it? They lost yet again, bottom of the table. You can't believe it. After having such a wonderful season last, last year, also poor old Agen, they're second, no wins from five. Top once again. I'll try and pronounce it properly this correctly this week. Mont de Marsan. 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 There, I think. Fifty percent. You have fifty percent there, mate. Mont de Marsan. Two hundred points in five games. You know they're really flying at the top of the table. The only other unbeaten team are Colombia. They're second, five out of five. But Mont de Marsan, they are streets ahead in the in the Pro But as for what's happened to Van, I don't know what a transformation in fortunes oh simple you know i need to go and support them and i need to do my naked dancing when it's a full moon (laughs) (laughs) maybe that's why they've got the table that's that's what i haven't done this year that's the reason why (laughs) anyway so we can (laughs) yeah and even more great matchups brie on saturday brie they're at home to stade francais her fifth against 14th Lyon are at home to uh, Bordeaux, third against fourth. Montpellier, they entertain La Rochelle. That's going to be a cracker. Tenth against twelfth. Uh, Pepignon, they're at home again in that eighth against seventh there. If they face Poe, Biarritz, they're at home to Toulouse. And that's the length against first. And as you mentioned earlier, Castra at home to Toulon, sixth against ninth. And then on Sunday... Claremont, they're at home again against Racing, 13th against 2nd. So, yeah, and another great, great weekend of, of rugby. And looking at the Toulouse top, the only unbeaten team now in the top 14, 
the four wins from four and 17 points. Second, Racing, three wins from four, 12 points. Third, Leon, they've got a 50% record, two wins out of four games, 11 points. Uh, Bordeaux, fourth with 11 points also. Fifth, Breve with 10 points. And sixth, Castra also with 10 points. And down the bottom, who would have predicted this? In 12th place, La Rochelle, one win from four. In 13th, Claremont, one win from four. And bottom, Stade Francais, one win from four with just four points. So you wouldn't have predicted those three clubs at the bottom at this stage of the season, would you? It's early days, it's early days. But let's not forget that uh, Stade Francais had, before the season 2019 finished, they were in a dire situation. I think they were bottom, bottom of the league. So, but let's wait and see. I mean, they showed great tenacity and what they were made when they played, you know, with 14 men during 77 minutes. So I raise my beret to Stade Francais. French lesson. Okay. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready as I'll ever be. Okay. How do you say top 14 season? <sighs> top 14 season. But that's not too bad the other <laughs> way around. La saison du top 14. Let me <laughs> that's, I'm being very, very nice. So you see you're getting there. Huh? Yeah, you see, Int- I just shout nouns at people now and you know, I don't string any sentences together. I'm going to teach you something else. We're going to have a new, a new uh, session on how to pronounce properly top 14 uh, clubs okay. so you tend to say i'm going to start by how do you say p-a-p-a-u Paul. yeah you say you say po what what is it then it's po you say po you po. tend to say pow or something no like that. i've never pow <laughs> yeah but tell me you're tell making me. it up now you're no. just making this stuff no up. how do you oh. say it you say po. Oh, no, you don't, yeah, you don't say po. Stade uh, Selection Paloise. Exactly. Oh, you say it has to be a, a, a short po. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we'll have this week's session. But, you know, you would have a field day if you had to do the same <laughs> with my French accent. It would last uh, yeah, <laughs> we'd, we'd fill about. Yeah, we'd fill all the podcasts with that one. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So, rugby friends, I hope you enjoyed our uh, summary of the top four team from me and, and, and Mike Pierce uh, and, uh, and our new section, how to pronounce, you know. Yeah, how, how do you pronounce Mike Pierce? It's Mike <laughs> Pierce, actually. <laughs> Mike Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, you, I know what joke you are thinking of. Have you seen Mike? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to say. This is this is a family show, you know. Our British supporters <laughs> yeah, will yeah. understand. I don't know. My my family don't listen to it, so I'm not sure. <laughs> may, may, have you seen the Mr. Hunter? Maybe I will delete that. Start, don't start. <laughs> I'm having my my cup of tea, but uh, I hope you. Yeah. So I'm not pronouncing your name properly. It's Mike Mike Pierce. That, that's near enough, yeah. I'll that's let you near off. enough. You let me off. Well, I hope you Yeah, you always, always start talking about Clanetly and places like that. <laughs> <laughs> Planetly. 
<laughs> That's not too bad. And I hope you enjoy our show. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Yeah, have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yes. Well, and yeah, I hope you enjoy um, the, the uh, my chat as well with David yeah, Compose. I'm looking forward to watching Poe play. <laughs> That's you got it, mate. Okay. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic, les oiseaux du lac pic-pac, pic-pic, glou-glou-glou font tous les dindons, et la jolie cloche ding-ding-dong, mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum, tout avec lui dit boum, et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille.